Welcome to the number one daily NFL podcast. That's right, Locked On NFL. I am Brian Peacock alongside former NFL scout Matt Williamson. We are on the number one daily sports podcast network. Your team is covered right here on the Locked On Podcast Network. You can subscribe on all of your favorite podcast apps. You can find me on Twitter at BD Peacock. You can follow Matt at Williamson NFL. Matt, welcome back to the real world. How was your week in Indianapolis? Great. I enjoyed every bit of it, to be honest with you. It's a great experience down there. You get a little bit of buzz, but I mean, we had some really, really good guests on. I mean, we had Greg Cosell, John Clayton, Cynthia Freeland. I mean, it goes on and on and on. Kevin Colbert. I mean, just such great guests to sit down with. And all the conversations I had off the air, too, were even better. Um, the ride there and back isn't so bad. I met some people that I'd known via Twitter for many years, but never met them in person. So it's one of my favorite weeks of the year. We're getting into offensive linemen and running backs on today's show. We'll hit those position groups on the defensive side of the ball coming up later this week. We'll have a Twitter Thursday as well. And I thought it was interesting this year, and I don't remember them doing this in the past that they, they, so the, all the prospects weighed in, got height, weight, speeds, then before the workouts and the field stuff and running the 40s, they weighed him again. Uh, Matt, I'm going to put it to you this way. If they did that with the media, weighed you on your way into Indianapolis and on your way out with all the steak and shrimp cocktail, what's the over-under on the average weight gain? Maybe seven and a half pounds for media members? Yeah, I think some people put some away, too. I mean, if you go into that, (laughs) the media room, too, I mean, they're – They don't put out a crazy spread or anything, but it's a free spread. And I have found media members really take advantage of free food. (laughs) Oh, that's awesome. (laughs) Uh, You know, a guy that probably took advantage of food. Well, actually, you know what? Before we get to the offensive lineman, I wanted to make a a big man joke about the offensive line. But you know what? They're not very fat this year. Uh, Let's let's talk Trevor Sikama's because it is mock draft Monday as well. So I want to spend some time here in the first segment talking about the latest mock draft. And Trevor Sikama of the Draft Network dropped his latest mock draft. And he utilized some of the things that he heard and the whispers that were floating around in Indianapolis. And maybe depending on where you were, you heard different whispers. And the thing that jumps out to me in this mock draft is the quarterbacks. And there might not be the frenzy of trade-ups for quarterbacks. And who knows, maybe even the Dolphins could stick at five and still not draft Tua. He has them passing on Tua for Justin Herbert. Let's take two angles to that. And first of all, I I urge everyone to check out the draftnetwork.com. They're putting a ton of uh, combine um, looking back, you know, offensive linemen that, that improved their stock. You know, they're, they're putting out a ton of content, as you can imagine right now. But a couple notes along those lines are, with all respect to Trevor, who knows his stuff, and we'll have him on the show, and I understand the allure of Herbert. I mean, especially this time of year. He's pretty. I mean, he's big. He's fast. He can throw the ball. If you drew up a quarterback from scratch, it would look like him. And I absolutely believe that the massive buzz around him is very real and is not media created. And I think he's going to go extremely high. We've kind of said that for a while, but I believe it now more than ever. I still think Tua goes ahead of him. I'm sorry, Trevor. I mean, I'm sure your logic is sound. I get it. Um, He looks better walking in the room than Tua, but Tua said he's going to plans on having a pro day sort of soon. So he might be ready for camp. I mean, it might not. I've heard no injury setbacks. And if anything, it sounds like he's ahead of schedule. 
And I think he's just the clearly superior prospect of the two. I mean, it has to factor in at least a little bit with a worry, just a little bit of unknown with him and his injury situation. And if there was a tie, I could see going away from Tua. But if he's able to just – and we had speculated on this show that when we first heard about Tua having his own pro day workout, I think it's April 9th, we're thinking, ah, don't do that because, you know, you could hurt yourself there and and maybe really screw things up. Everyone knows who you are. But just maybe alleviating some concerns and showing, look, I'm – on track or even ahead of schedule, I'm going to throw a little bit, show you that things are looking good and that at some point, even in my rookie season, I might be able to hit the field and and start developing my skills with your football team. So I, I think that is something that I could see both ways, depending on how you look at it with Tua's workout. And look, he didn't work out. So I can see the immediate hype after the the combine being that, okay, Herbert has a little bit of juice and Tua really doesn't. But I, I'm with you, man. It's hard to believe. And maybe it's just because it's been ingrained for so long with the tank for Tua and the Dolphins at five. But not only not trading up for Tua, but holding their water, staying at five and still passing on them for Herbert. It still seems unlikely, but th- I'm sure there's some reason. And maybe it's the Dolphins putting it out there themselves, which would be smart on their part. I guess. I mean, again, I'm I'm just not buying it because he did not become a worse prospect since we saw him get injured. And I think he's deserving more of potentially going first overall than he is slipping in any way. But I think another interesting aspect of mocking things at this point is Without a doubt, I believe the quarterbacks, landing spots, and veterans I'm talking about, the changing of teams at that position might end up being more so than any that I can remember. You know, we like it was a big deal when Kirk Cousins went to the Redskins, the Vikings. Well, we might have five or six of those. And I think it starts with Rivers going to the Colts. And I think it headlines with Brady not returning to the Patriots. So my point with this in terms of mocks are if all the, if five or six teams invested in a new guy in any way, shape, or form, Winston, Tannehill, whoever, will they go to the first round well again? You know I mean? Are they going to double dip with investments at quarterbacks this offseason? It's really hard to have an accurate mock before that first week, especially of free agency shakes out, and we see where sure. some of these guys are going to go. So that's a great point there. When it comes to Tua, and look, and Trevor's saying what he's hearing, maybe some teams, maybe not all teams, but some teams might not be as high on Tua uh, as previously thought. He has Tua falling all the way to the Colts at 13, was just an interesting, not only does Tua fall, but the Colts in particular looking for a quarterback in round one. Even if they bring on Rivers, I could see them still going that route. Well, yeah. I mean, Colts fans, would you trade the 13th pick for Tua right now? <laughs> right, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I mean... Hey. Maybe not the most immediate need, but at that point, you're like, okay, well, yeah, let's go. Let's do this. Right. And back to the Colts super quick. I mean, I do believe that I'm very certain almost that Rivers will be a Colt. And unless something like this happens, I think the Colts will use a lot of draft capital that they have on edge guys. I've also heard them link to Clowney. Um, Wide receivers, not quarterback this year because they still have a lot of hope for Brissett. They're hoping that they sit sit for set behind Rivers, let him learn a year, take a step back, um, enhance the supporting cast, try to win now with Rivers. So, of course, if two is there, yeah, they jump on him. But I don't see them trading up for Love or Herbert or two if he falls. So I expect this to be a defensive lineman as opposed to being a quarterback. 
I agree there. But if, if you're the Colts, you can maybe address most of what you need in free agency, feel really good, and just be, uh, you know, fluid when it comes to the draft. If that really good prospect you didn't expect is there at 13, you hit it. Maybe you could trade back. You could do a lot of different things and hit a couple of different positions. So really like where the Colts are at the middle of the first round. And just to touch on the final quarterback that does go four quarterbacks in the first round of this mock from Trevor that is three rounds long that you can find at thedraftnetwork.com. There's a trade, and I like this one, of, again, another team holding their water, not drafting the Chargers at pick six in the first round after Herbert goes to the Dolphins. He has them taking Makai Becton at offensive tackle, and I like this. Then waiting to jump back into the first round, he has them trading up from 37 back to 27 in the first round with the Seahawks to draft Jordan Love as the fourth quarterback in the first round. That is interesting. And first of all, I love Becton going to the Chargers. It's like, it's about time. Get us a yeah. big stud. Rivers was probably like, hey, remember me? What about that? Would have been nice. Um, and so I do like that move. If they don't go quarterback there, there's a wealth of tackles that we'll talk about that certainly would make a lot of sense. And I see the theme here. I mean, like you mentioned with Trevor's draft, that these quarterbacks are falling a little bit. I'd be shocked if Love gets to 27. I mean, I think if you're going to stick with that theme, you got to stick with it through the entire mock. And again, maybe the veteran movement would make that ha- make that happen. But if the Chargers gave up 37, 101, 167, and their original first and could leave this draft with Love and Becton, that would be phenomenal for that team. And similarly, the Dolphins, if you don't believe in Tua, maybe at five and you're sitting there, maybe that's when you go get the best offensive tackle in the class on your board. Then use your other picks from 18 to move up and get your quarterback. You could get Herbert and one of the top offensive tackles potentially or if you or or in this mock as as Tua falls. So that's an interesting scenario as well. Yeah, and by then they may have already landed two veteran offensive linemen, and uh, thinking all of a sudden we got the the more than just a skeleton of a potential offensive line to plop a young, talented quarterback behind. And offensive lineman is what we're going to get to next here. And looking at Trevor's mock, we've got four in the top 14. Let's uh, take a second here, Matt, then go look at these offensive linemen, how they performed in Indianapolis. And then segment three, we'll look at the running backs at the Combine. Matt, just an absurd group of offensive tackles, and it seems like they just continue to rise and continue to rise. Now there's a group of probably four offensive tackles that you have to feel really good about being potentially franchise pass protectors for you in the NFL, and none had a better combine, I think, than Tristan Wirfs, who to me was probably number four coming in, but when you throw down a 485 at 320 pounds with his jumps and just how easily he moved, it's like, wow. Very wow. And coming into this, I mean, I think some looked at him as Brandon Scherf, you know, like good, Mm -hmm. good tackle, maybe a pro bowl guard. We'll figure it out when we get him here. But in the, in the end, maybe his best position is guard, but I don't know how you take that stance now after putting up, frankly, maybe the best offensive line combine ever. (laughs) I mean, is that far fetched? I don't think so. Six five three twenty. He had the thirty four inch arms, which you're looking for. Uh, he had a thirty six and a half inch vertical jump that was a better jump than first round wide receivers were talking about, like Jerry Judy and CD Lamb. This is ridiculous athleticism. Probably more athletic than just about every tight end at the combine. Yeah, right. I mean, it's it's insanity. I mean, a great vertical, a great broad, a great forty. And if you watch them moving around, he doesn't look like an offensive lineman at all. 
um, brings to something that we've talked about a little bit, bit first. And obviously, he's the the far outlier here. I mean, he's the the poster boy for this, but a lot less fat guys than I remember. I mean, a lot more athletic looking human beings on the offensive line, thinner waist, less fat on their body. Their movement shows that. And then you and I often talk about, boy, the defensive linemen that have come in the league the last 10 years are so much more athletic than the offensive linemen. And again, it was true and it always will be, but maybe the gap will start to Go back a little bit. You know, this class, we might look back and be like, remember all those offensive tackles that could run and change direction and move and bend? And that might have been a precursor of what we start to see coming into the league. Yeah, gone are the days of the fat guys, like the the slow motion clip of Andre Smith running the four dash at the combine about 10 years Great ago. Call. That's ingrained right. into my brain. And uh, I, <laughs> I'm kind of mad at you for making me remember that right now. But uh, yeah, you, that, you brought that up. Yeah, none of these guys. None of these guys are like that. It's crazy. And I think the next headliner at offensive tackle was the dude who came in at 364 pounds. I think he was reweighed. This is the only weight I saw again before, but I think most prospects or all of them were weighed again before working out and doing run 40s and things. But I think he was 357 before doing uh, the, the 40. But Makai Becton, who measured up 6'7", 364 ran a 5-1 flat, which is just outstanding. Super long arms, athletic. I mean, he he might have vaulted himself to the top offensive tackle in this class. Yeah, I, I think those two are probably my tier one, but really the tier one is probably four guys. Um, depends what you're looking for. I mean, Becton versus Werfs couldn't really be any different. But boy, I mean, Becton running the 40 was effortless, long stride, smooth. You know, I mean, that's a big body flying down the, the, the field there in a straight line. It was jaw-dropping. I mean, it was one of the most memorable 40s I've ever seen, and impressive 40s I've ever seen. How easy. It, it didn't even look like that was it was that hard for some of these offensive linemen to move that well. And we've talked about Becton and Wirfs. And if, if neither one of those guys was in this draft and all we saw work out where all the offensive linemen without those two, we'd be talking about how Jedrick Wills, the offensive tackle from Alabama and Andrew Thomas from Georgia are like, oh, cool. Slam dunk top 10 offensive tackles. These guys are great. Then you add these other two freaks in there with Becton and Wirfs, just an outstanding class. And Trevor had them all being gone by pick 14 in his mock draft. And they might be gone sooner than that. Right. And these, these other two, you know, I mean, um, Thomas and Wills, they're probably better prospects than Eric Fisher was coming out or um, who was the one Jacksonville took right after him too, Luke Jokel or yeah, I'm just thinking about some of the top five, top 10 type tackles that have come out that you kind of have to squint to see them as stud prospects where these guys, you don't. And there were two more impressive. And the league needs it. The league needed an infusion of offensive line talent, especially offensive tackle talent, and a ton of teams need offensive tackles, which is why they'll fly off the board. But then there might be some other guys in the late first-round mix. After those guys are gone, we'll see how high Josh Jones goes. He didn't have a wow workout, but I think it was solid. Coming off a nice senior bowl week is probably offensive tackle five in this class. Then there's two other guys in the mix with that next tier, I think, in uh, Lucas Niang out of TCU and Prince Tega Winogo out of Auburn. Neither one of them were able to work out, though. Right. And there are some project tackles, you know, that we've seen get manufactured and move up the the uh, the list in, in recent years more than maybe they should. But the payoff could be huge. There's a handful of those type of guys. I know you have a couple you like. Uh, the yeah. UConn kid stands out for sure. Is this a moldable athlete? And then I want to get to the interior a little bit, too, because it's one of the worst groups of interior linemen I've seen, especially at guard. 
<laughs> yeah, Cesar Ruiz right now. I think he had a nice day uh, at the combine. He was 6'3", 307. Nice big 11-inch hands. If you're a center, you want a, a nice big hand to uh, maneuver the ball there. 508, 40. Looked really good running around in field drills, 33-inch vertical. So I think he solidified himself as the top interior-only guy, the top center in this class out of Michigan. You mentioned Matt Pert, offensive tackle from Connecticut, 6'6", 318. 36 plus inch arms, 506, 40, just moves around so easily, but a bit of a boomer bust sort of a prospect uh, project. There is uh, uh, Cleveland, uh, Ezra Cleveland out of Boise State. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. 6'6, 311. And he ran a, a 4.93. We'd be talking about him if it wasn't for Worf's 4.85, 40 times. Sadiq Charles could be a guy who starts out at guard, ends up playing some tackles, 6'4, 321, and 505, 40 times. So there's some depth in this class, too. And some of those guys could get pushed down and be developmental starters if you miss out on one of the top guys. Yeah. And Cleveland definitely stands out. I mean, just a ridiculous. Um, you know, jumps and change of direction. I was just pulling it up here. Maybe one of the most remarkable numbers I've ever heard at the combine: a four-four-six short shuttle. And short shuttles of late have really translated to on-the-field success for offensive linemen. And this might be the best one ever. You know, it's strange. I just was reading some articles about what's important for certain prospects, and there's actually a better correlation of forty time to offensive tackle production in the NFL than it is for some other positions like wide receiver and running like wide back, receiver, kind right? Of, yeah. Kind of mind exactly. blowing. So it's important to see these big guys move and uh, they were not disappointing at the combine. There's a couple of other names I want to mention. Uh, there was Adenogy out of uh, Hakeem Adenogy out of Kansas kind of could play all over the offensive line, had a nice little day. There was Natan Muti from Fresno state, a power guard, 44 bench press reps, and Matt Hennessy had a nice day for himself out of Temple, probably, uh, you know, second, third round type of guard. But um, it, with, with the interior class not being as good, someone like Hennessy, I think, really helped himself. Yeah, right. He may be a long term starter, third round pick, maybe a, a team like the Saints last year that needed a center to complete their line, takes him a little earlier. Um, doesn't I don't see a lot of downside with him, has some of that Temple tough to him, but he's also a decent athlete. So couple centers um but the guards overall certainly lack headliners and doesn't seem like a lot of depth either the lsu interior guys cushionberry and lewis i think mm-hmm. haven't moved as well despite being in a, a zone scheme in college i don't know if the zone schemes in the nfl see them as really great movers who get out on the second level those guys to me are not maybe as high as they had been billed coming in not not terrible from cushionberry at the combine but I kind of feel like if they would have went to Boise State, they would have be around lower. You know what I mean? Yeah, like we, no. we saw him in the in all the uh, the the big games, obviously. And I know Cushenberry is a phenomenal leader, and there's value to that. But that doesn't mean we have to double bump him as prospects. Right? Yeah. No. Well put. And then Trey Adams had a rough one. He's you know Real six rough. eight three eighteen. You don't expect fast, but five six zero near Rich Eisen level in the forty yard dash, and kind of winked at the camera. I think he knew he was going to run very poorly, and he did. Yeah, and he was a a brand name guy, you know, throughout his college career, back injuries, and you wonder, I mean, is that something that's going to always hold him back and they're never going to recover from because he was basically the worst athlete at the whole combine. All right, Matt, let's talk running backs. There were some guys out there that were uh, moving pretty good at the combine Friday. Running backs next. Okay, Matt, I think at the running back position, the the one guy that really blew the thing out of the water was 
Jonathan Taylor, who's already thought of as one of the top three running backs in this class coming in. Then he went out there, rocked up 220 plus pounds, running a 4.39. Stole the show. I mean, big, fast. I think I mentioned last week I saw him just in passing, and boy, he has a body type of, well, you, I, you know, bounce right off him type. I mean, great size, frame. Uh, he's, he's held up, to say the least, uh, to a heavy workload at the Big Ten. Um, that size-speed combination, but also just the overall explosiveness of him is outstanding. Um, so I think Taylor Swift, my, my combination of these two, is a really strong one-two punch. I don't know if either will get in the first round, but uh, I, I feel like those two and Dobbins, I just want to mention Dobbins because let's not forget, you know, it's real easy, especially this week and right after the Combine, out of sight, out of mind, you just drop them. You know, oh, let's talk about Swift. Let's talk about Taylor. Let's talk about these other guys. Well, Dobbins didn't do anything wrong. I mean, I kind of feel like those three stand alone, and they're all a little bit of a different flavor of what back do you want to, you know, really lead your backfield. And Dobbins said he wasn't 100%. And he said when he throws down these workouts, he wants to be 100%. So at Ohio State's Pro Day, I imagine Dobbins is going to put up some pretty good numbers, and he'll be back in that conversation, maybe running back one when it's all said and done. Yeah, maybe. And Ohio State's a notoriously fast track. Many have said that he, going back to his high school workouts and stuff, could be the best tester of all these guys. So those three are all really, really impressive and a very good group. None of them, to me, will be the you know top half of the first round guy, though, no matter what. It'll be interesting to see, yeah, how high they go and how far into the second round some of them get if they do go in round two. And a guy that I think is closer to that group than the next year is Cam Akers out of Florida State. Uh, Solid size, really good out of the backfield, made adjustments to bad throws, catching the ball, looked absolutely fluid despite his uh, 217-pound size in the field drills and then ran a 4.47. So a great day for the Florida State running back. Yeah, absolutely. Um I kind of see it this way. I, I, I'm just getting the hunch that we differ a little, that those three we mentioned are every down backs, workhorse guys. And then I kind of see Akers and Edwards Hilaire from LSU as the next two. And they may be pro bowlers too. I'm not cutting down on them, but there's they're, they're a little more, I don't want to say finesse, but they're not quite as workman workhorse-like, but I like them both a ton. I like Akers now much more than I did when I started this process. The more you watch them behind a bad Florida State offensive line, which is unbelievable. Um, I think both these guys have a lot of dynamic traits. Edwards Hilaire didn't run super great, but he's kind of he's definitely a short strider. I mean, he's kind of a stumpier Maurice Jones-Drew type, but dynamic as can be. I think both those guys would really make their teams happy. And, and I often talk about the Steelers at forty nine that. Those are the type of guys I think that they will target at that spot. I think the top three will be gone, and I think Steeler fans will be very happy with Akers or Edward Solaire, or many teams out there will be very happy with those guys. Edward Solaire's four six flat, and you mentioned his size, which I don't really care too much about his height, but it does, no. you know, with those short legs, it hampers his his long speed, so that might knock him down a little bit. Maybe his ceiling is running back four or five in this class, but that's fine because you'll end up on my fantasy team, just like Cam Akers. I, I think that's yeah. maybe where some of the uh, the value could be in this class. If those guys fall down to the second, third round area, now we're talking uh, if the headliners go earlier, you know, round one, round two area, and, and who knows, maybe there'll be a, a shocker and one of these guys goes really high and a team falls in love with the running back early, but then some other running backs didn't have 
the greatest workouts. Actually, you know what? On the good side of things, I think we have to talk speed score because A.J. Dillon at 250 pounds running four, five, three great jumps. He's absolutely going to look good to the analytics crowd. Yeah. Again, my next tier after those two and they had opposite days was Moss from Utah. Great after the after contact, powerful runner, big guy. Um, did not run well, though, and supposedly tweaked the hammy at the vertical before running, so maybe he shouldn't run at all. And then Dylan's the opposite. Like, Moss's tape is more impressive to me than Dylan's. But this is a big, big back that I, I said something about him a while back that if this was 1985, he'd probably be a top eight, top 10 pick. You know, I mean, just big, fast. His jumps were the best of the running backs in the whole class, and he's by far the biggest guy. So uh, I, I think he made himself some serious money. You know somebody that I could I think could drop in this running back class is Eno Benjamin. Didn't have great workouts yes. and for not being someone who's looked at as as maybe an early down back early in his career. Not the biggest guy, not not necessarily super small, but you know, runs a four, five, seven to be your change of pace guy isn't great if your starter is faster than your change of pace guy, right? And then the more I watched on tape of Eno Benjamin in the last couple of weeks leading up to the combine, a little bit too many drops for being that guy who's supposed to be a really good receiver too. So I wouldn't be surprised to see a little bit of a drop from Eno Benjamin. Yeah, I I know he's a brand name guy. And the more I watch, I just don't know what to get excited about with him. That sounds horrible. Like, boy, he stinks. There's nothing there. I mean, there's he's, he's going to make a team. He's probably a fifth or sixth round pick. It's just, I, I don't, I'm not sure what I'm doing jumping jacks about with this guy right. or what his calling card is or where does he improve my team. And draft stock is different than how they're going to play in the NFL. So maybe he falls, maybe he's a steal for some team if that's the case. But he could get passed up by some of these other guys that were flying at the combine. There are three names in particular, maybe four that we should highlight here that ran in the four fours. Darrington Evans out of App State, four four one. Uh, Raymond Calais out of Louisiana Lafayette, former track guy, not very big, probably uh, needs to to be a return guy at least in the NFL to to make a team four four two. Anthony McFarland out of Maryland, four four four, and Joshua Kelly. 449 out of UCLA. Any standouts from that group? Uh, Calais is by far the one I know the least amount about. I had a, a pretty good feel for the others coming into the combine. And like you said, he's a track guy. So it makes me wonder if he's just good at running track stuff. You know what I mean? Like right. I need to do more homework on him. Maybe he's better than that. Uh, Josh Kelly to me really caught my eye at the senior bowl. I don't know that he, he or any, I don't know if Evans, Kelly or McFarland are, feature backs I don't think they are Kelly has more of those traits than the other two the other two are more dynamic or faster uh, a little on the small side Evans was obviously highly productive at App State but all three of those dudes you'd like to get on your football team like if you're Tennessee and you have Henry locked up long term sure add Evans or McFarland to that mix or I mean there's many situations where you could see those guys being high impact players and maybe only getting, you know, eight to 10 touches a game. Yeah, some of those mid to late round backs, that's usually where the value is in most running back draft classes. Seems to be a little top heavy here. Some of those uh, next tier of guys are are where I'm worried about in this class because that's usually with one of the strengths in a, in a running back class in the NFL draft. So we'll see how this thing plays out, see where these guys go, see if there's value to be had at the running back position. You know there's there always is. There's going to be somebody out there that mm-hmm. nobody's talking about that's a 1,000-yard runner in the NFL. Your uh, – your Austin Ecklers or, you know, the Matt Breedas, those guys are just out right. there every year, it seems like. And so there's potential for a few of these guys to be that guy. Yeah. And I think you've said this before, too, that that middle, 
or bargain class. Just doesn't seem like as many names as usual, but a good running back class overall. It doesn't have the the, the Zeke or the four, you know, easy first rounder, you know, top ten pick. But then the group from maybe twenty five overall to a hundred overall looks pretty good. Yeah, might be the heaviest day two running back class we've seen in a while. That's uh, probably where it'll get attacked the most, I'm guessing, by teams, unless someone can't hold their water and and goes high in in round one and snags one of those speed demons we just talked about. Matt, we're out of time here. We've got to look at the defensive side of the ball. Later this week, we'll do front seven. Tomorrow, we'll do defensive backs. Wednesday. One more note. I apologize. Oh, sure, yeah. Going to the 17-game schedule, though, I do think – Oh, yes. Running back depth is going to be more and more important. The teams are going to be more wary of just grinding their dudes into the ground. I know it's only one game, but it's already somewhat of a problem at times where your lead back's worn down come December or playoff time. And maybe you use one more roster spot on a versatile running back than you would have if the CBA goes as we expect it to. That's a great point. Yeah, an extra game is that's the one position that probably benefits the least from an extra game in the NFL. And there's already so many committees around the league. There's very few guys that and even those guys, it's like, man, do you want to do another 20, 25 touches in a game for a 17th game for some of these guys, Zeke and and Christian McCaffrey? Uh, That's just rough for those running backs. So you're going to at least have depth issues that you you want to have filter some more guys in and then just flat out committees i think we're already seeing more and more of those around the league and that'll probably continue and another game just adds to that yeah i agree twitter thursday is well coming up at the end of the week after we talk defensive prospects here we'll have some guests all the news broken down for you right here locked on nfl